Hi guys, hope you are doing well. Welcome to episode 17, a continuation of last episode's conversation with Mr. Paul Pullman. In today's discussion, we are going to dive deeper into his leadership role as CEO of Unilever and going into his idea of what makes a great leader. This is leadership in the business world. So let's just get started and jump back into our conversation. Oh, that's great. And you know, um, Mr. Pullman, I think another key aspect to you is your leadership ability. You you had three big leadership roles in the three biggest consumer good companies in the world. So I want, and obviously, uh, I, when I talked to Mr. Jolie, he said that you were one of his greatest friends and one of the you know most amazing leaders that he ever had the pleasure of meeting and you know talking with. So I guess I wanted to ask you, how do you define leadership, and what are the most important attributes when it comes to becoming a more successful leader, a more positive leader? Well, Hubert is uh, very kind, but I really want to return the compliments because what he's done with Best Buy and uh, his wonderful book he's now written, The Heart of Business, is a good example of how he's brought that to life. And he is continuing to inspire inspire a lot of people. And being now uh, at Harvard to do that in education is another example again of a great leader. I think a great leader is, is it doesn't have to be a CEO. It, it should not be measured by your position of power or wealth. That's not what a leader is all about. Unfortunately, uh, in, in cult- some cultures like the US, people are celebrated for net worth more than they're celebrated for self-worth. And a great leader, you have to go to self-worth. You see a lot of examples of great leaders in many parts of of the world, in many parts of of life. And people always ask, what are the great leaders? And we always go to the Nelson Mandela's or Mother Teresa's or Martin Luther King's. And without any doubt, they are great leaders. But for me, uh, think about the doctors who went to West Africa when Ebola came out, when they knew they risked their life. So the first doctors who helped treat the patients with COVID when there wasn't any cure yet and we lost a disproportionate amount of people. That's ultimate leadership. I have a big foundation that works with the blind and deafblind children in Africa called the Kilimanjaro Blind Trust. We have 25,000 children in school, but the teachers that work with them, often 24 hours a day, unselfishly giving their, their time to these people, those are the real leaders. So real leadership is putting the interest of others ahead of your own knowing that ultimately yourself, you're better off as well. True leaders are first and foremost human beings. They have a high level of empathy and compassion. These leaders actually have done much better during COVID than the self-centered leaders. They're humble, uh, human. They understand the power of partnership. They're purpose-driven. They think multi-generational. And obviously, at the same time, you need those basic skills of leaders that, that is a given. Uh, hard work will always be, <laughs> will always be appreciated versus being lazy or having a high level of integrity, a certain level of, uh, learning. But the good leaders are leaders that are curious, that know how to learn and unlearn and, um, and, and, uh, and above all have an ability to listen, you know, at the end of the day, There is a reason why we've been given two ears and only one mouse. So these are some of the characteristics of great leaders. And fortunately, we're blessed with many, but we need to create more. Uh, The world is short of leaders and trees, I always say. And 
the, one of the things I spend a lot of time on now is um, trying to look at changing the way we we create leaders in universities, for example. Our MBA programs have become little Milton Friedmans on steroids, and and we have created uh, competitive leaders whilst increasingly we need to create collaborative uh, moral uh, leaders and it requires us to start early and change the way we educate as a as a good beginning of that yeah and you know obviously when i think of successful leaders uh, i think of huber jolie or i think of mr jeff weiner of linkedin and mr weiner often describes his leadership style as compassionate. And when I talked to Mr. Jolly, he mentioned how his style of leadership is focused on teamwork and passion for one's job. And I know you did mention in your book a little bit of your style of leadership. And obviously, I want to let you explain that. But I was curious, what is your leadership style? And how, how did you develop it over time? Well, I think we continue to develop that. And it depends a little bit. It's like developing your purpose that continues to grow on you. It depends on on, on uh, your experiences in life or what Bill George in his book, True North, called your crucibles. Um, you know, you get certain values and uh, from when you were born uh, and how you grew up. And that uh, is a leadership style. And in my case, that's probably, um, you know, a clear understanding of the importance of uh, dignity and respect and equity, compassion, as I talked about. My parents were great role models for that. I worked in Newcastle, uh, and I saw for the, in Newcastle in England, that is, and I saw because shipbuilding, steel, and coal had gone belly up, I saw for the first time second-generation unemployment. The only thing a 14-year-old girl could get to build her own self-esteem was a baby, making her own situation worse. So I got very interested in the community and the importance of being sure that uh, other stakeholders uh, would benefit and also have opportunities so that that forms your leadership. I climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro with eight blind people from all parts of the world. It was a great American climber, Eric Weyenmayer, who is the first blind climber who's done all seven summits, including Mount Everest. And I could see that, uh, you know, the power of disability was not really to be disabled, but to have different abilities. Helen Keller, who went to Perkins School for the Blind, who was deaf and blind, and spoke seven languages. People often told her it must be horrible to be deaf and blind. And undoubtedly, it must have been difficult for her. But her answer was always the same. You know, the worst thing is actually not being blind. The worst thing is having eyes and not being able to see. And that is still the case of too many people in this world. And then I was stuck, unfortunately, in Mumbai in the terrible terrorist attack in the Taj Mahal, where many people around us unfortunately lost their, lost their lives. But for a miracle that I still don't know, we came out alive. And you saw, on the one hand, the goodness of people. More babies were born that night in Mumbai than lost their lives due to this terrible terrorist attack. But even the terrorist this was driven by poverty, by desperation more than anything else. And it makes you even more determined to fight these issues to uh, ensure that this world is more inclusive. So all these things that happen during your life, and, and it continues. It continues now. I just lost my mother last year at the tender age of 92, and she was an amazing lady. 
and I'm starting to reflect on the wonderful things that she did and, and learn from her and trying to continue some of these values in my own life. And it keeps forming you as a leader. So your leadership style should not be fixed. It should be in that sense flexible. I personally never like to talk about my leadership style or what it is because it really is a, or ultimately how other people perceive it. And if you ask my wife as a father of my children or my six grandchildren, they will have a different answer than the people in the company that will have a different answer than the people I work with in our charities or in my friends in, in the community in which I live. And, and so these leadership styles need to be adapted. But at the end of the day, they need to be purpose-driven. They need to show a high level of compassion, in my opinion, and be people-centered uh, and, and not self-centered. And they, they need to be uh, certainly collaborative. I think I've always liked and, and always fought for these broader inclusive partnerships to, to solve these bigger challenges that we've been talking about, Logan. Now that that's um, that was that was great, Mr. Pullman. And um, you know, obviously, to continue on that fact, we often see great CEOs like Alan Mooley, who helped turn around uh, Ford Motors, and Howard Schultz, who helped turn around Starbucks. And I'm I'm curious, throughout your management career, how did you keep your employees motivated and focused during conflicts, crisis, and challenges? Well, first of all, they're not my employees. I mean, slavery was abolished quite a long time ago. So they are colleagues, they are friends, they're human beings, they're partners. They are uh, the most important elements in, in building companies. Um, I've always felt that um, uh, as a leader, I actually knew the least. When I was a CEO of Unilever, I knew less than my finance uh, director about finance. I knew less about marketing than my marketing director. I knew less about a brand like Dove in the US than the person responsible for the brand of Dove in the US. I certainly knew less than my HR manager about HR. So my job was actually a very simple job, having discovered that I didn't know that much, was to entirely focus on making other people successful. So if you invest in people, they invest in you. If they realize that you don't work for your own benefit, but you work for the greater good, that you put on yourself higher standards actually than you put on others, you can be very demanding, but people will respect that. If you operate with consistency and high levels of integrity, people will respect that. At the end of the day, it's about gaining respect. It is nice to be liked or loved. We all want that as human beings, but ultimately it boils down to that respect. And if people understand that you hold yourself to these higher standards, work for the greater good, go through fire to make them more successful, invest in others, then all tides will be lifted, including yourself. And I've always found that during my career, the goal always has been to work myself out of jobs, and it has never hurt me in doing so. And I'm very pleased to see in Unilever again that I'm uh, that I'm succeeded by Ellen Job, who is an incredible leader and probably is navigating this, this incredibly challenging COVID environment 10 times better than I do. And I'm just so, so happy and proud to see that. And my pleasure is in seeing others being successful. And, uh, and I will continue to focus on that. Great. 
And, you know, you often mention in your book that sometimes people in a company have different perspectives on what the company should focus on. And this could be maximizing profit, you know, increasing margins or ESG. Now, I guess for you and in general, what key components are important to creating a positive company culture? Well, when you take a positive company culture is that any time there might be what perceived uh, disagreements or uh, conflicts, that is because there's an intersection of people thinking different things or people might have different objectives. You know, product supply might have an objective of the lowest cost marketing, the highest creativity. So anytime when you have these friction points and these matrix structures, you have to be sure that that energy turns into positive energy, not negative energy. And the best way to do that is to create environments that first and foremost, people are aligned on the higher purpose, where in the middle of the table, the moose in the room is not your own self-interest, but actually the citizens that you serve, for example, where the culture is open enough that some of these uh, issues can be talked, where conflicts are handled as opportunities, where people listen to each other and build on each other to create something better than each of us individually uh, can do, where you don't advocate but where you listen and create. Uh, one of the things I absolutely don't like is the word PowerPoint, because it's like I, with power, I make a point and I stuff it down your throat. And the more PowerPoints I show you in my presentation, the less you can think, because I'm showing them really fast and I'm really making a strong point that you have to buy into. So you have to change that environment and become create an environment of productive reasoning and all that. And it requires respect, it requires trust. And these are the things that, that, that really make a performance culture. Huh? Culture is nothing else than matching uh, strong values, whatever they are for each of your institutions, with the right behaviors. And the challenge is always in these behaviors. There are companies that had great values, the uh, Enrons, the Parmalats, the, the Wells Fargo's, the GE's, the Boeing's, they have great value statements. But what we've seen over the years, that their behavior was so inconsistent. And this is still what many employees say, you know, the boss says one thing, but behaves another thing. And that's the most difficult part. But if you can have these values and these behaviors, you create the right culture. And it is the culture ultimately that allows you to deal with these uh these, these friction points, as you call it, or these apparent uh, differences. You know, if you're a CEO, most of the issues that you have to deal with are probably issues that people disagree on, because if they would agree, they wouldn't come to you with the issue, they would already have solved it. So it looks like apparent conflicts. And I think the skill set then of leaders is to really turn that into positive energy. No, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think I mean, Mr. Jolly, he, he always mentioned that, you know, in order to create a positive company culture, you really have to put people first and you have to think of how can, you know, you mentioned often stakeholders and that could be consumers, that could be, you know, people in the company. And then it all, it obviously starts with the people that work for you. Right. And once you go off there, then I think that reciprocates to the rest, rest of the world, consumers, other people. So I think, I think you were kind of like the role model, the how how do I how basically the the role model on how to do things, and then everybody, as you said, they align with the same ideas as you, same values, and then it it goes uh goes forward from there. Well, so, uh, well said, uh, 
Logan, I couldn't have said it better, but but so are you. You're a leader as well. You create a uh, podcast. You do that because you try to have more people benefit from from thought leaders or or and you share that uh, generously. You spend a lot of time preparing that for other people than to get these little nuggets of wisdom so that they don't have to make the same mistakes or none. So you are putting yourself to the service of others and you've seen it grow. You've seen yourself grow as a result of that. You've learned a lot, but you've created a network that is broader, undoubtedly has, has brought new opportunities as you embark on the next states of life. So you're a true leader in that sense as well. We don't need to look all, always up to find the leaders. We need to look around us to find the leaders and and we're very blessed with many of them. And crisis situations like COVID and seeing how local communities have worked and rallied together. There's some real stories there of, of human tragedy on the one side, but also incredible leadership. And, and that's where we need to get our energy. That's amazing. And now, uh, before we end today's podcast, the last question I wanted to ask you, Mr. Pullman, was many, are, many of our students that are listening to us right now they, they aspire to be leaders. So I guess, what advice would you give to any any kid out there, doesn't matter what age, how, how can they improve on being a leader? How can they continue to grow and develop as a leader? Well, the fact that you're listening already to this, you're probably already a great leader and aspiring to become even a greater leader. So we talked about uh, uh, listening. We talked about being curious. We talked about uh, being able to let go of things, preconceived notions, always be open to new ideas and uh, working with others on that is very much uh, uh, one uh, key characteristic of, of developing a leadership. Uh, Rumi was an Iranian poet in the 13th century uh, who said it very well when he said, uh, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I'm changing myself. And I think good leadership starts with yourself there, really discovering who you are, your inner core, before you can start to work on this outer core. If you find out what your purpose is and you feel good about yourself, you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to behave in a way that other people want you to behave or fulfill some norms that others dictate on you, like a salary or a car you drive or other material things, which you soon discover are not really the ones that drive this this real meaning of life. But if you discover who you are and can, can live that purpose and be able to uh, put that to a greater good and doing that in an environment that you thrive in because you're respected, you're, you're, uh, you grow, you develop, then I think you can have a very good uh, leadership development. You can have a very good life and obviously a very successful career. So focus on that. What are you passionate about? What are you good at? What does the world need? Is still a very important intersection to work on in that respect. Brilliant. Uh, Mr. Pullman, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge and wisdom of business and ESG to the next generation of leaders. And uh, I think based on the amazing re reviews from some of the top business leaders in the world, you have ignited a new trend of empowering employees, but also, you know, ESG and how that can lead to corporate success. Uh, it was a it was an honor hearing your adventure. No, thank you, Logan. And it was really a pleasure to talk to you. I noticed the time went fast, but yeah. uh, hopefully you'll enjoy finishing the net positive book and everybody uh, have a look at it and, and start to read it. And hopefully we can all become part of this movement 
of uh, creating net positive as the standard that we want to go to net positive universities, to work for net positive companies, to make my organization net positive. That's the thing that we now need to do individually and collectively. So thanks for the opportunity. Above all, be safe and keep me posted on how you're doing as well, Logan. I will, for sure. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to part two of Paul Pullman's episode. It means a lot and we are grateful for you guys' support. If you like this episode, please drop a five-star review on Apple and Spotify Podcasts and subscribe. You can follow us for more updates on Instagram at the Finance Z Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Let us know if you have any feedback and have a great rest of your day and stay safe. Thank you.